Uh, James chapter 4, we're going to keep making our way in this awesome book uh, with this theme of, of real faith and what that looks like, faith on display. Um, but the title of the message today is A Life Well Spent, A Life Well Spent. And it's been said before uh, that time can never be retrieved. Time cannot be hoarded, only spent well. If you guys, for some reason, missed the title right now, it's just A Life's Well Spent. We're in James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. Uh, but time can never be retrieved. What, what, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that uh, time, uh, I, didn't, I didn't say this, this was a quote from someone else, it can never be uh, taken back. Time keeps going in a progression, right? And it can't be hoarded. Uh, you can't go back and change something. There's no such thing as time travel, unfortunately. Uh, but you also can't hoard it up where it's like, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to take this day and then I'm going, to, I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to store it up. The only thing that time can be handled is uh, spent well. That, that's, that's, we can either spend it well or we can spend it bad. And today, I want you guys to think about a couple different things. You guys close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. No one should be looking at me or around. I want you to think about uh, the, last, the day that you breathe your last breath. It might be scary because you don't know when that is, right? But there will be a day that you will take your last breath here on earth. For some, that might bring fear. For some, that might bring excitement. Keep your eyes closed. Now I want you to think about that there's gonna be, I want, to, I want you to think about the day that you breathe your first breath in eternity. For some, that might bring fear again, and some that might bring joy. For a believer, that first breath in heaven is going to be amazing. It's going to be joyful. You guys can open your eyes. You see, I do that for you guys today is because I want you to come to this understanding that, there, that the life we have here on earth is very short, that there's going to be a day where you breathe your last, that there's going to be a day that you breathe your first in eternity. And when you, bring your first, first, when you breathe your first breath in eternity, Uh, there's going to be no second chances at that point. You won't be able to go back in time and change things and change your life, that it's all done with. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5.16 that we are to redeem the time, that we are to redeem the time, that we are to make the most with what we have, Uh, that time is a purchasing power. It's a purchasing power, that time is opportunity for us. It's an opportunity that we could waste or that we could take advantage of. And the question I want to start off today with is, are we making the most of our time? Ask yourself that question. Are you in your life, are you making the most with what you have? Will we be able to say on that day that we're in heaven or in hell that we lived a life that was well spent? I know for us believers, there's going to be that day where there's going to be joy, but I hope that day that we could look back and say, man, I I spent my life well that I lived it for the Lord. And this is kind of the the theme of what we're going to look at today. Last week, we talked about selfishness. You guys remember that? Selfishness and the dangers behind living a selfish life that'll leave you with division and and emptiness and separation, but that living a life submitted to the Lord, uh, that God gives us uh, promises, that he gives us uh, his presence, he gives us power, and he gives us purpose. And today, James is now going to move on 
with that same kind of context of, of what he's talking about, but now kind of bring a perspective change to us. He's going he's gonna to remind us of some awesome truths today. And the big idea, the, if we could sum up everything that we're going to look at today in one sentence or a couple sentences, it'd be this. If we're going to live a life well spent, then it must be focused on the Lord and not focused on myself. The time we have is short, and the best way to live it's for, is for the Lord. That the time here we have here is short. And so I want you guys to go to James chapter 4. You guys there? James chapter 4 already? All right, raise your hand if you are already at James 4. Raise your hand. Okay, sounds good. James chapter 4. Look at verses 13 through 17 with me. There's five different verses we're going to look at. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And ending in verse 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so we see five verses here. And we're going to look at five different points today. And those five different points are going to be five keys to live a life spent well, to live a life that would be spended uh, in a positive way, in a way that without regret. And there's, we're going to look at these five different ways or five different keys to live a life well spent. Number one uh, comes from uh, verse 13. So each verse we go over will be a different point. And so when we move on to a different verse, it'll be a, a, another key for us. And we're going to look at five today, okay? Just so you guys can track along. And number one, uh, the first key to living a life well spent would be this. Don't live for money and things. Don't live for money and things. Look again at verse 13 with me. James, the writer, he's saying, come now or pay attention or look. He says, come now. And then he addresses a certain crowd, a, a certain attitude. And he says, those who would say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. And so he addresses someone who is planning and investing in this world for profit. You guys know what profit means, right? You guys can understand that, I think. I don't think I have to explain that too well. And so he's addressing someone who is living and planning for his own profit, for his own self-advancing. Uh, and it's interesting if you note that they leave God out of the planning. Do you see anywhere in verse 13 the, mentioned, uh, the mention of the Lord saying, we're going we're gonna to do this as the Lord wills or what he wants? No, it's they leave God out of their planning. Why? Because their pursuit is for profit. Everyone say, their pursuit is for profit. That's their pursuit. But the Bible says that you cannot pursue two things. The Bible says that if you pursue profit or money or things of this world for yourself, then you cannot pursue God at the same time. The Bible says it's impossible. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 6, verse 24. He says, no one, when Jesus says no one, guess what he means? 
No one. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. And you're like, why does it say mammon? Was that a spelling error? Is it supposed to say money? No, mammon is uh, just an older term, but when it says it in the Bible, it's referred to as not just money, but things. Wealth, money, riches, and everything in between. And And Jesus clearly says, if you're pursuing profit, you're not pursuing the Lord, that you cannot serve both. And really, in verse 13, this was their goal. Their pursuit was for profit. But guess what? It wasn't the wisest investment of their time. It wasn't the wisest investment. Why? Well, because profit or material things, money, it doesn't last very long. It doesn't last very long. And just a few verses before in Matthew 6 of what we just looked at, uh, Jesus also says this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 21 Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, I'm not saying having money or making money is a bad thing. Guess what? I have a little bit of money. I make a little bit of money. That's not a bad thing. But money of itself is not bad. But it's, uh, it starts to become bad uh, when, the, when the money becomes the pursuit, when the, when the, the things become the goal, right? Uh, money can be used in a really good way. We just, gave, we just uh, gave some of our money to God just a few moments ago, right? When the, when the tithe was going around. You see, what is that money used for? Where does it even go? It goes to the advancement of the kingdom of God. It goes so that from this church, the gospel can go out. It goes so that the lights can can stay on in this room. Your money does that so that the gospel can be preached and we can learn about God. And so money can be used in a very positive sense, but it becomes sin when it becomes a pursuit. Notice the word treasure, right? We don't really think in these terms anymore. Whenever you think of treasure, you think of like pirates or something. But treasure is just what is most valuable to you. And your value is either going to be in one of two places. It's going to be in this world or it's going to be in heaven. And whatever your treasure is, says your heart will follow right along with it. That what you invest in, what's most valuable to you, is it the things of the world or is it the things of the Lord? You see, it's in the desire for money that money becomes dangerous it's when you start to love money more than God. You see, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 says this, but those who desire to be rich, the desire, the pursuit, the goal to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare or a trap, and they fall into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And he says, for the love of money. The love of money, not money itself, but the love, the desire of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's in the desire and the love where money becomes extremely dangerous. 
Why? Because it starts to move your love towards God for the love of the things of the world and your focus is changed. I want you guys to see this on Luke chapter 12. I want you guys to turn there. Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus addresses this very thing. If there's one passage in the New Testament that I think falls perfectly in line with where we're at in James, it's Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, as you guys are turning there, and I'll turn there with you, Luke chapter 12. Make sure you stay in James as well because we're going to turn back there. But Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus is talking uh, to a bunch of different people and he gives a warning. He gives a warning of this desire or this love that can come, this, this all-consuming pursuit of, of material things and money. And he says this in verse 15 of Luke chapter 12. He says, one's life does not consist and the abundance of things he possesses. And that's good for us to hear today. That life is not about the stuff you own. Life is not about you getting a good career one day and having a nice house and a nice car. That's not what life is about. When you enter into eternity, it's not gonna matter. The thing that that life is about is the Lord. And, And he gives a parable to kind of illustrate this point. He gives a story. Look at verse 15, and we're going to read down to verse 21 in Luke chapter 12. He gives a story for for us to see this picture clearer. Verse 16, he says, Then he spoke, Jesus, he spoke a parable or a story to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. Meaning that there's this rich guy, and he had a really good year. That he had a really, he owned a bunch of uh, crops, and the harvest was huge. That the corn, instead of being three feet tall, it was five feet tall. That the, the, the grapes, instead of only having uh, 100 on a vine, they had 200. That, man, this was, he was racking in the dough. You know what I'm saying? He was, he, was doing, he was being very successful. In verse 17, it says, And he thought, this guy, this rich guy, this rich guy he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? He had such an abundance. The barns that he had for storing all of the crops that he had, they were, they were too small. And so, verse 18, he says, So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And verse 19, he says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. He's kind of a weird guy. He's talking to himself. But he says, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So he's like, I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm going to tear down my small barns, build some new ones, I, got, I don't have to work a day in my life. I'm just going to now chill back, get my rocking chair, and just enjoy all of my things. But then look at verse 20. It says, but God said to him that very night, he said, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? That very night, this man didn't know, but this would be his last night on earth. And so all the stuff he worked for just goes into the hands of another man, goes into the hands of another man. And the punchline, uh, the bringing it home verse is verse 21, where Jesus says, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That who knew that this man who worked so hard would, that night he would die and he'd have to leave everything he worked for because everything he invested in was in this world. And so when he leaves this world, now the two are separate. Do you understand that? Makes sense? 
There's a guy by the name of Billy Graham. You guys know, know who that is? Raise your hand if you know who Billy Graham is or was. He just died recently, uh, not too long ago, but he's the, the greatest evangelist that America has ever known. He's awesome. He won thousands and thousands of people for the Lord. But he says this, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, meaning that he, he has the proper perspective of money, it'll straighten out almost every other area in his life. And I think there's truth to that. That if you just, if you just get this one thing down, that the things in this world are only temporary and the things that you invest in are good and they can be used for kingdom work, but realize that that should never be the goal. Another guy who said this, and I think is really good. He says, the fellow that has no money is poor. Pretty simple statement, right? If someone doesn't have money, then they're considered poor. But then he says, the fellow that has nothing but money is poor still. That's good. That someone could have all the money in the world, but in God's eyes, they are the poorest person on the planet. Why? Because when they meet the Lord, they'll have nothing to show for it. That they lived a life only here, not thinking about eternity. There's a, a good advice that I was given, or not necessarily given, but told uh, from a good friend. And he said this, never make a decision based on money. Never make a decision based on money. Meaning, no career that you go down, no decision should ever be made on, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more money here, so I'm going to go with this. That our decisions should be made on what the Lord wants and not our greedy desires. Proverbs chapter 23, uh, 4 and 5, go, go right along with his advice. And he says, do not overwork to be rich. Notice the word overwork. He doesn't say don't work to be rich. He says don't overwork to be rich. That there shouldn't be this, that I'm going to do, I'm just, I just want money. I just want to get more and more and more and more. He says don't overwork to be rich because of your own understanding of, of everything. He says, cease. And then he says, will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. That as fast as you can bring in money sometimes, the faster it goes. And it's crazy. If you look at different stories over the years, the different people winning the lottery, they won, you know, $1.6 billion. And in a year, they spent it all. You're like, how in the world did you do that? Because money just has a way of just flying away. But the things that we invest for, for eternity, nothing, nothing can get in the way. God says that they are reserved for us by the power of God. And so number one, I think you guys get, don't live for money. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so number two, the second key to living a life well spent is live every day as if it's your last. Live every day as if it's your last. Oh my gosh, spilling all over myself. Not bad. It's a little, cool down a little bit up here. Guys, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if we will make it to tomorrow. We are not promised tomorrow. Do you guys realize that? Do you guys know what day it is today? Let me try this again. What day is it? What's the date? September 23rd. Do you guys realize that September 23rd, 2018 could be your last day here on earth? It's a crazy thought. We don't think about that, right? We're already thinking about the week ahead. Well, I got this homework due and Monday's coming and 
Okay, that's, that's good. Next week, Friday, I'm really excited for Friday because this, and we're thinking already ahead, right? Which is not a bad thing. But do you realize that this could be our last day here? This could, be, this could be it, that we might not make it to September 24th. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that to bring into proper perspective reality. You see, in Matthew chapter 6, again, Jesus says this. He says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. He says, sufficient or enough for the day is its own trouble or difficulties. He says, let tomorrow take care of itself. Look again at, at verse 14 in James, chapter, uh, in James chapter 4. He says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. He poses a question. He says, What is your life? And the answer, short. That's your life. It's very short. It's, not, it's nothing in the grand scheme of things. It's a blip on the radar. You see, he's not talking about in regards to value, that your life is like nothing. It's, it's nothing it's not, he's not talking about value. He's talking about length. He's talking about length. He says that it's like a vapor. You guys know what a vapor is? Or steam? Maybe your, your mom, what? Raise your hand if your mom makes spaghetti of any kind. Raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand if, you, if your mom doesn't, or you're, you don't eat spaghetti at home. Raise your hand. Wow, crazy. All right, cool. Um, so, right, when they go to boil the water to, uh, to eat the noodles, to be able to cook them, uh, there's that steam that comes from the water, right? That's vapor. Or maybe your dad's coffee in the morning if it's boiling hot and it's got, you know, the, the vapors or the steam. Or maybe your, your breath in, the, in, a, in a really cold night. I can't wait for winter. It's coming, right? You, you see it for a second and then it's gone. That's the, the picture that we're given. In Psalm 39 verses 4 through 6, you guys can look at on the screen. It says something very similar. The psalmist here, he says, He's praying. He says, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Why? That I may know how frail I am. He says, indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but vapor. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And so there's this prayer. He says, God, help me to realize how short my time is. Help me to realize how frail. Uh, you guys understand the word frail, right? It means temporary. And it means very fragile, right? Frail, fragile. It's, uh, um, it's temporal. And he says that, that our days are as hand breaths. And you're like, hand breaths? What is that? They breathe in their hand. This is, this is weird. No, a hand breath is, is an old term of measurement. Now, if we want to measure something, right, we can just go to the store, buy a measuring tape, or we have a ruler in our binder for school, and it's easy. Uh, back then, they didn't have that kind of stuff as accessible, and so they had to get a little creative. And what is always with you? But your body. Your body's always with you. And so they used their body to their advantage to measure things. That there is different measurements that they would say, okay, about from your elbow to your top of your, your middle finger, that's, that's this kind of measurement. And a hand breath was just a unit of measurement. Uh, what it was, was about, if you, everyone go like that. So they would measure where they would, you know, whatever they're trying to measure, they would take the, the top of their index finger and the bottom of their pinky, and they would, they would measure. They'd say, okay, that was about, you know, six hand breaths. 
and that was just their unit of measurement. They, they figured, you know, not every hand is the same, but it's about four inches. And so when you said someone, okay, it's about 10 hand breaths, then it'd be about, you know, 10 of those. You guys understand? Very short unit of measurement. There's very, something very short. And he says, our, our life is like that. It's so short. It's like four inches long. <laughs> he says, it's, a, it's like a shadow. You see, he's giving us all these word pictures for us to be able to grasp and for us to be able to understand. A shadow, it doesn't hang, along, it doesn't hang around very long. And so he says, God, show, this is his prayer. More than anything else right here, he says, God, show me how short my life is. And you might say, well, why? Why would that be his prayer? Well, think about it. When you can see the end in sight, typically you kick it into gear. What do I mean by that? That you kind of step up. Maybe it's in a race. You guys ever, raise your hand if you've ever been a part of any kind of race. Isn't it true where maybe it's a little bit longer of a race and then you see that finish line and you've been kind of lollygagging, you know, you've kind of been like hanging out and not running super hard and then you see the end you're like, okay, now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it into gear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get going. And I'm going to run as fast as I possibly can because I can see the end. And it brings relief. And you're like, okay, let's do this. It gives you that encouragement. It gives you that motivation to say, okay, let's do this. Or maybe if you guys play any kind of sports. I know I, play bas- I, I played basketball a lot uh, back in the day. And if you guys play any kind of organized sports, there might be some kind of a, st- a, a, a clock of some sort. And the clock starts to wind down. And when you realize that you're down by a few points and there's only 30 seconds left, it's like, oh my gosh, stop messing around. We got to get focused. We got we to gotta figure this thing out. Or maybe you've played air hockey at any kind of arcade, right? And there's that timer and, it, and you see it up there, but you see the score and you're like, oh no, I really got to, I, I can't mess around anymore, right? And you go on the offense instead of just the defense. Or maybe uh, you guys aren't any, you don't like sports or running or anything, uh, you guys have all taken a timed test of some sort, right? Where it's like, okay, the teacher says that there's only two minutes left, but you have 50 questions. And you're like, two minutes, 50 questions. Two minutes, 50, how, okay, what do we do? So you just start filling in all the bubbles randomly, <laughs> hoping that you get a score, right? Why? Because when you see the end in mind, you're like, all right, let's do this. And what I want to bring to you guys today is to bring you that end, to show you that we don't know when it is, but it is soon. Whether that's today, whether that's tomorrow, or whether that's what seems like eternity 60 years from now. We don't know. But at any moment, guys, the reality is, is that we're either going to go one of two ways. That today, uh, the rapture could happen. You guys know what the rapture is? That's when Jesus uh, comes and he's hanging out in the clouds and in that moment, the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, the believers here on earth, they, are, they meet the Lord in the air, and we're taken up to heaven, and boom. We won't be back on the earth uh, in, the, in, in the type of bodies that we have, that when we come back with a thousand-year reign, we'll be glorified, and it's awesome. So either Jesus comes back, the rapture, or uh, we die. You're like, wow, that was harsh. It's either, it's either rapture or what people like to say, rupture meaning rupture of your heart, that there's only going to be two ways that you meet the Lord, and that could happen at any time. And I'm not saying that to, to scare you guys. I want, you to, I want to scare you today that you need to be afraid of death. No, you need to be ready to meet the Lord. There's a difference. There's a big difference. And this doesn't mean, guys, that we should throw out all the planning. That we should, if someone asks you, hey, can we have a plan to get together next week? And you're like, oh, sorry, I'm only supposed to live for today. 
Like, if your mom asks you, hey, tomorrow, can you make sure that you take out the trash? And you're like, oh, sorry, mom, I'm supposed to live today. You can ask me tomorrow, because I might die today. No, no way. It's not that we throw out the planning out the window, but it's that we live with the reality of that we could enter into eternity at any time, that we start to get busy for the Lord, that the, the things that God has given us, life and time and a voice and hands to do things and, and feet to walk places, that we be faithful with what God has given us. Does that make sense? It's awesome. And so uh, number one, uh, don't live for money. It's worthless. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to last. Number two, uh, live every single day as if it's your last because it literally could be. And number three, uh, might seem simple, but it's good. Number three, live for the Lord. The third key to living a life well spent is that you live it for the Lord. Look at verse 15. He says, instead, meaning instead of living for profit or for things that don't last, he says, instead, you ought to say, you ought to live by if the Lord wills. Everyone say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. That's how, that should be our motto. He says, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That this phrase, this short phrase, if the Lord wills, meaning God, whatever you want. As a Christian, that should be our motto. That should be our very uh, phrase that we say all the time, not in repetition, but in reality, that this, should, this is how we should do absolutely anything and everything, that God should be included and consulted in every aspect of life. And we have examples from this from the word, Jesus. It's an awesome example of this very thing. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, uh, this is when he was in the garden, and it says that he starts to pray. He falls on his face, his face before God, and, 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 and uh, he, he's, in, he, he's in a sense, he doesn't want this to happen, that the cross is before him, that he's about uh, to be captured by the Jews uh, to be, he knows the end, he knows what's coming. And so uh, with what the Bible says, drops of blood falling from his face, from tears going down, he says this, he says, oh, my father, he says, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, God, if there's any other way for all mankind to be saved and for their sins to be forgiven, can we do that? But then he adds this at the end, and this is the, this is the point. He says, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. And Paul's example is similar. We find, you'll find all over the New Testament uh, something similar to that. In Acts 18, 21, Paul says this. He's talking to some people, and he says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. This is what I want to do, but I will return again to you, hopefully, he says, God willing. He says, this is my desire, what I want to do, but God willing, I can do this. Uh, 1 Corinthians four nineteen and 1 Corinthians sixteen seven says, Paul again speaking, he says, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. Or he says, for I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits whatever he wants. And now I want to I encourage you guys what this doesn't look like and what this does look like practically in our lives, in a Christian life. Uh, what does this look like? Well, what it doesn't look like uh, is this. I've seen good versions of this and I've seen very bad versions of this. A, a bad version, what I've seen, is someone who is so concerned with what the Lord wants in every aspect will, where it actually becomes crippling, meaning it becomes 
a, a negative rather than a, a positive, that becomes like bondage. That it's like they can't uh, do anything without first praying, which sounds weird at first how that's bad, but it actually is. It actually is that uh, we shouldn't have to, I've seen, I've seen a version of this where, where someone is, is so afraid, right? To not please, to please the Lord that they begin to pray about everything. And you're like, well, I don't get it. In the morning, when you're deciding what cereal should you eat, do you have to pray about it? No, you don't. When you, when you decide what shirt you want, should you, should you have to say, well, Lord, whatever you want, I could wear the blue one, but I could also wear the green one. Got it. And, and what I've seen is that it become, can almost become a fear thing. It can almost become like, oh, I, I'm, I'm timid now because I don't want to displease the Lord because I just want to live for him. It's a good desire done the wrong way. You see, you and I, the Bible says that we're to be bold as lions, that the righteous are to be bold as lions, and that there shouldn't be this fear and timidity to offend our father. He's our dad. He's our heavenly father. And so what does it look like then? Well, it's that as we go, that as we live our life, that, that first off, we just commit to, to pleasing the Lord, saying, God, I just, I just want what you want in my life. I will, I'm willing to obey, but then it's actually going. That's okay. You can decide what cereal you want to eat and what t-shirt you want to wear. That's not a big deal. But that as you go, there's, that you're living a life conscious of what God wants, that you're reading and you're praying so you know the heart in God in a way that always with the end in mind, that you're doing the things that God has said. And Nehemiah is an awesome example. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book of Nehemiah, uh, but sweet example where he's doing all these awesome things for the Lord. And as he's going, as he's stepping out of faith, that he's just throwing up some prayers. And he's saying, God, uh, strengthen my hands or God, uh, help me with, the, with these people who, are, who seem to be against me. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says we are to pray without ceasing. Now, it means that we are to pray without stopping. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that we're supposed to just do nothing but be in our rooms all day and just praying? No, but it's as we go, that as we enter the, the, the classroom, classroom halls, that as we, as we enter to whatever it might be, as we are in our house, in our rooms, that whatever we might be doing, that there would be this consciousness, this acknowledgement of God in our life. That as we think about the future and make decisions that we would always have in our heart and in the back of our mind, God, what do you want? If the Lord wills, it, God, if you want this, then I'll do this. And in our planning, and you guys maybe aren't in that age right now, but you will be one day where you're going to be making some pretty big decisions uh, for your life. You're going to decide what college you're going to go to and what career you're going to have and who you're going to marry and all these things. God says, in that, seek me, but go. It's as you go. Um, and so number four, um, we're going to see that we are not to be arrogant. And this kind of goes back with uh, what, what, we, what we looked at in verse 13. Verse 16, it says, but now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. You see, he's kind of making a full circle going back uh, to that life without the Lord, that pursuit of profit, pursuing material profits for, for self. And he's addressing that attitude again. And he's saying, when you have that attitude of, I'm just going to live for myself and I, and I can, I'm just going to focus on, on, on gaining, gaining things for myself. And then he says, that, that you start to boast in your arrogance. Do you guys know what boast means? 
It just means to brag. That's all it, that's all it simply means. It means to take pride in something or to express pride in something. And boasting typically has a negative, but there is also a positive. But he is talking about the negative here. What are they, what are they bragging about? Well, they're bragging about all of their pursuits and all of their plans. That says that they have arrogance. Do you guys know what arrogance means? Who, who could describe to me what, what does an arrogant person look like? What do they act like? What are, what are some characteristics? Yeah. They brag about everything. Okay. What else? What else comes to your mind when you think about an arrogant person? Yeah. Sort of like a bully, for sure. Don't care about whatever, what other people think. Yeah. Better than everyone else, for sure. They think they're kind of like a lone soldier, right? When you think of someone who's erring, it's like, oh, I, I can do this myself. And they start to have this, at, someone who thinks is just living for uh, the things of this world, they start to have this attitude, this arrogant attitude of, of I got this. And they think they can live without God and they're gonna make their plans. But the thing is, is that verse 16 says that this boasting, this arrogance, it's evil. And the Bible says the reality is that you don't have control over everything. If you're deciding to live a life apart from God, it's the, foolish, the most foolish thing you can possibly do. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 1 says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Don't brag about, I'm going to do this and that tomorrow, and these are my plans, and, and, it, and it's all for myself, and there's this arrogance in it. You don't know. You don't know if you will make it tomorrow. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But there's a serious danger and pride. And one of these keys to living a life well spent is not living it arrogantly. It's not living it apart from the Lord. Uh, there's a couple verses that we looked, out, looked at last week, and I want to show you these again because I think it's uh, pretty interesting. There's one other time, uh, this word arrogance, look at verse 16. You see the word arrogance? There's one other time this, this word shows up, uh, but it's in a different form in the New Testament. And that's in what we, a couple verses we looked at last week, 1 John Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That word pride is the same word arrogance. This pride of life. It's thinking, I, I, can, I can do this on my own, taking matters into your own hand, is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's a self-reliance. And he says that the world and the things in the world are passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The reality, the reality is that you won't last on your own. So if we're not to brag about our things in life and ourselves, then uh, what is the positive side of bragging or boasting? It should never be in us, but it should always be in the Lord. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul said that there's one thing that he brags about, and it's about what Jesus did for him. He says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, I'll brag about my God, no doubt. But you see, the act of arrogance is removing God from the throne of your life. Do you guys know what I mean about a throne of your life? I mean that all of us, we have, we have, we have a throne in our life, meaning a place where someone sits of authority 
uh, the, the master of our life. Some people on their throne, uh, they remove God and they put themselves. That's what we're talking about. But you see, you and I uh, were to put God on the throne and replace ourselves with it. That we're, we're to let him rule and reign and not ourselves. And so uh, the fifth thing and final thing that we're going to look at today within this text is verse 17. And this is the most simple one of all, but it's, I think, my favorite, that we are to do good. That we are to do good. That living a life spent well will be doing good. Look at verse 17. He says, therefore, I mean, because of everything that was just said, what I just told you guys, he says, therefore, with this in mind, he says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. He says this, another way of putting this, if you know to do right, sorry, if you don't do what you know is right, you sin. If you don't do what you know is right, you sin. It kind of broadens the definition of sin. It gets a little bit bigger for us, Why? right? Because how do we think about sin? We always think about it in terms of, oh, I did something wrong. But you see, sin is not just doing something wrong, but it's actually not doing something good, not doing something right. Knowledge brings responsibility. You see, as believers, you and I, we're called to do good. And so when we fail to do good, we, we sin, we mess up. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, what do I mean fruit of the Spirit? Something that God should be producing in our life, one of them is just goodness. You see, the stopping of doing wrong in our lives, meaning this, the, that we are to cease doing wrong things, that, that comes first when God starts doing a work in our heart. That, that's, that's obvious. But the second can be a little bit more difficult for whatever reason, and it's the pursuit of good. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this, right? Cease to do evil. That one we got. Stop doing, stop doing bad things. But then he says also, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, meaning the innocent, and plead for the widow. You see, sometimes we only focus, right? You guys good in the front? Yeah? Okay, stick with me. Sometimes the only thing we focus on is, okay, I just, I'm not supposed to do anything bad, right? That's sin. Okay, I don't want to sin. I'm not going to do anything bad. But then we fail to do anything good. But the problem with that is when we're not focusing on doing good for the Lord, then it'll be much easier to fall into doing the bad things. Romans 12, 9 uh, gives us this combo this dual aspect, it means abhor what is evil. He says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And your claim might be, uh, maybe you said this to your parents once or twice, but I'm not doing anything wrong. You guys ever said that one before? I'm not doing anything wrong. But the response could be to that, okay, but are you doing anything good? It's the same thing. Maybe your claim, and I know you've said this one, I didn't do anything. Man, that, that's like, oh, brings back memories, right? I didn't do anything. And your parents' response, I'm sure, has been, that's the problem. You didn't do anything. And the reality is that neglecting good is the same as doing bad. On the scale of sin, that neglecting good is the same as doing bad. And this might be eye-opening to some of you. But the Bible uh, talks about not in not by, by exact words, but in principle, that there are two different kinds of sin. 
There's the sin of commission, and this, there's the sin of omission. One is with a C, one is with an O. Everyone put a, a C up. All right. This is, the C, this is the sin of commission. Okay? You know what the sin of commission is? Think about it in terms of committing a crime, committing sin. And that's the obvious of doing something we shouldn't. That's the sin of commission. It's lying. It's cheating. It's gossip. It's backbiting. It's cussing. It's doing all those different things that we know is wrong. That's the sin of commission. Now everyone put up no. Put it up. Now the sin of omission is different. The sin of omission is not doing something we should. It's not doing good. It's neglecting to do anything that God has commanded us to do. It's when we are not living for the Lord. It's not praying or reading our Bible regularly. It's not helping someone when we have the capacity to do so. It's not telling people about Jesus. It's not doing those things that God wants us to do. It's not living a life well spent. You guys understand that? Sin of commission and sin of omission? See, it broadens the definition for sin of our life. And you and I have a very simple call from God meaning a simple request from God. What is it? Is that we would do good. Is that we would do good. That we wouldn't just be a good person uh, just for, because, okay, I just want to be a good person because, you know, be a good person. Or that we wouldn't do, be a good person for the title of it, that people would think that we're good, but that we would do good because our God is good and because he has asked us and called us to do it. And so maybe in your life, you're like, well, I'm not doing anything bad. Maybe I think a lot of you guys are, are not doing things super bad. I think there's some of you that probably are involved in things you definitely shouldn't be involved in. Of course, we all sin. But I wonder how many of you today, you're not doing anything bad, but you're not doing anything good. God looks at it in a similar way. God looks at it in a similar way. And so we see the five points today uh, clearly laid out in the scriptures. But I want to go back to that first question I asked you. You guys remember it? Are we making the most of our time? On that day that we breathe our last and we breathe our first in eternity, will we be able to say that we lived a life well spent? Remember, guys, time, the time that we have, the time that you're given, 24 hours in a day. Today is September 23rd, 2018. You will never get this day back. Time can never be retrieved, meaning uh, that time machine principle, but it can also never be hoarded or stored up. It can only be spent well or it can be spent badly. It's also been said that lost time is never found again. I guess you write that one down. I like that one. Lost time is never found again that we only have one life and it'll soon be passed and only what we've done for Christ, that's the only thing that will last. And so uh, just as an encouragement to you guys and take these five things today and let's not live our life for money or material things because it doesn't last. Let's live every single day as if it's our last one because it really could be rapture or rupture. Let's live it for the Lord if the Lord wills, let's not be so arrogant thinking that we can do this without him because we can't. And let's do good because our God is so good and because he called us to it. And so what does that look like to do good? Well, when you go home today, you're about to 
you're about to leave not too long from now, and you're going to see your parents, and you're going to see your siblings. Uh, doing good meaning, uh, means respecting your parents and honoring what they say, obeying them. That's doing good. God will see that, uh, and, he will be, and he will literally reward you for that, that there's a blessing and no obedience. That it looks like uh, when your brother and your sister, when they lash out at you when they probably shouldn't have, it's not lashing back at them, but saying, okay, and just taking the back seat. It's tonight, later when you go home and whatever it might be, family's crazy and family will get the best of you sometimes, no doubt. But it's doing good. It's, it's, it's tomorrow and the next day and the next day when you're at school, it's literally holding the door open for someone. That's doing good. God calls us not just to do the big things uh, that we think of, of sharing the gospel with someone and, and telling about Jesus. We need to be doing those things, but it's the small things too. And if you can't handle the small things and you're not doing good, then don't ever expect God to, to, God to give you the big things. And so if you just have the end in mind, uh, this kick it into gear, that spend our time wisely because it's so short. You guys get that? Time is short. God, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement Lord, that it is. Lord, just a reminder. Sometimes we can get so caught up in just the busyness of life. We can get so caught up in tomorrow that we sometimes miss today. God, would we, you would help us to live present, that we would take advantage of the hours even left in this day. It's only about not even 1.30 yet. It's plenty of hours uh, to do good, to live for you, uh, to affect the kingdom, to affect eternity. God, that you'd help us to live today for you that you'd help us to live tomorrow for you, that you'd help us to live next week. Whatever day is our last, that until that day that we would just live it for you, we wouldn't live it for things that don't last. God, we submit to you now. We, we, we give you our lives and we just worship you because you are so good. You are so good that you've given us uh, this, this, uh, this life, that you've given us opportunity, that you've given us a chance and we ask that you'd help us to spend it well. In Jesus' name, amen.